spent the last uh, several weeks talking about life choices, and uh, we're we're turning the page this morning. But there's kind of a there's a, a connection between where we've been and where we're going. And, and the life choices series was really about understanding that, that there is a design to the world, and, and in that design that we were made to live, made to function, made to to um, to act and to behave and to relate and to commune with God and with each other in a certain way and, and that when we live according to that design that, that it's good and that it's life-giving and, and when um, and we don't that, that it steals and it, it thwarts our life and that we have agency that in, as human beings we get to choose whether we live according to the design or, or we don't and, and to live beyond that and, um, and I just uh, I wonder if during the last few weeks, if we've talked about life choices, if at any point in that series, and I'm not going to ask you to, to say what it is, but if at any point in that series, did you realize that you were making choices that were not life-giving and decide, you know what, I need to do something different? Anybody? Like, a few of you. All right. That's all right. I, I wonder if, if you like made some real definitive, okay, that's not a life choice, and, and this is then a response to that. This would be a life choice, and you actually started doing that new thing that you wanted to do. Anybody? All right. Did anybody start something, and, and, but you, you, you stopped? It's like, I know this is good. I know this is a life choice. I, I want to do this. I want to walk in this way. I want to be this way. And, and you started out, and maybe Sunday was good, and Monday, and maybe a week, two weeks, and then it's just like, oh, man. Maybe you're just saying, oh, I forgot about that this morning. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody, like, listen here, and it's like, today, you're just, you're a new person because you made a life choice, and you're now experiencing that life. All right. I have to be honest, throughout that series, I felt like I was swimming upstream in, in, in preaching it. Because I was really excited about that series going into it because I just, um, a couple things. First of all, I think there was just some real, like, some things that we are seeing in our world that, that are well-documented um, things that are thwarting the life that we were made for. It's like we don't just have to wonder about it or kind of feel it. It's like we have documents, we have studies, we have research that's saying that, hey, loneliness is not a good thing. That the being in relationships is, is life-giving, and yet we're making choices that isolate us from other people. We have documentation that's saying, hey, spending, you know, three, four, five, six hours a day on, on screens is, is not life-giving. Anybody make any choices relative to... To screen time through the series? Anybody like try and fail in some of those choices? And so it's like we, we know this is true and, and we know that they bring life and, and we're pursuing it and yet it's just so hard. And so I felt like as I'm trying to communicate this and bring it, and the, just kind of what you said, right? There, some things connected, some things kind of hit, and maybe some people tried to make some changes and some choices. But I didn't get, I didn't get a lot of feedback through the series, just like after, you know, from along the way. And honestly, right, at this point, I've been doing this long enough, I don't need people to tell me, hey, you're a great preacher. I don't, this is not an ego trip for me. I, you know, I do, it is helpful to know that it's connecting, 
for people. Like the, the, I, I love it when someone says, I heard you say this, and God spoke to me through that, and now I'm going to make... Tra-. That's really helpful for me to know that the, 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 the proclamation is producing... But it's not an ego trip. And, and I know that it's connecting when people say things to me like, you know what, you were talking to me today. Because um, I never talk to anyone specifically, personally. I, I will, if I've got something to say to you, I will say to you. The only exception to that is when my family, my wife or children heckle me. Sometimes I will respond to them directly. But otherwise, I'm not talking to you. And, and I didn't get a lot of that kind of, that kind of feeling. And so I felt like through the series that, that I was swimming upstream a little bit, which connects us, the, it's the bridge to where we're going now. Here's the thing. There are... The voice of God, the word of God, is speaking the life of God to us and showing us the path that leads to life. But it is not the only voice in the universe. That there are other voices that complicate our life choices. There is a clamoring world that is shouting at us to do this to try that, to be like this, to go there, to buy this, to, to do this, to live this way. A clearing world that comes in the, in the, in the way of our, our media, that, that comes in the way of our culture, that comes sometimes in the way of our friends and neighbors and family that have their own agenda for our lives and, and want us to accommodate their, their realm, their kingdom, and so they, they want certain things of us, and, and so while we might be trying to walk this way, live this way, there's a pull in another direction. There's a clamoring world. There's also this voice of our fallen human nature that's demanding its own fix for our self-preservation, for our, for our pursuit to, to be alive and to have life. And that, that voice, that, that self-talk inside of us sometimes is saying, you know what, you might think this is what you need to do. You need to scratch this itch or you need to um, anesthetize this pain or, or you are this or you are that. And, and that too, that voice inside of us can sometimes pull us away from, distract us, discourage us from life choices. You might think that that will help you, but will it? You've tried that before, and it didn't work. So there's a clamoring world. There's our self-talk. There's the things that are going on inside of us, protecting us, trying to preserve us. But there's a third voice. Paul introduces us to this third voice in Ephesians chapter 6. He, this way, he's, in verse 10, he says, Finally, talking to the church in Ephesus, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul says there is a schemer in the universe. And he too has an agenda for your life. And he is trying to manipulate, coerce, twist you, distract you, discourage you, dishearten you from the life choices that lead to the life of God. The devil's schemes. We first meet the devil 
in Genesis chapter 3, in the, in the creation story, God's made everything and it's beautiful and wonderful and he created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and, and now it's, it's all very good until we come to, to chapter 3 and then the serpent slithers his way into the story. Revelation chapter 12 gives us the backstory to this, the devil, to his schemes. It says in Revelation 12, verse 7, Then war broke out in heaven. This is the origins of evil. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Isaiah, in his prophecy, describes the occasion for us, when this happened and why it happened. And it, it, the prophecy is actually to, to Babylon, but as often you find in the case that the, the prophets were speaking to a specific situation, but it had connections beyond that situation. It was, it was speaking to a larger reality, to a greater truth to a larger story. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Satan's origins are as a fallen angel who rebelled against God, who said, I want to be above God. I want to be the center of the universe. And rebelled. It's led to a battle. And evil was cast out of heaven. The devil. But, but is he for real? Do we still really even need to believe in a devil? I, like many of you, I suspect, have frequent encounters with, um, with people in, in our communities who I have the sense that if Jesus encountered them, that he would cast out a demon, that, that he would drive out an evil spirit, and, and rescue them. But when I have these encounters, that is never my go-to response, right? I think, oh, probably a mental health issue or, or maybe a substance abuse issue or some combination of those things. Has science exposed the stories that we find in the Bible, the deliverances as hocus pocus? Do, do, we, do we still need deliverance? We still talk about evil when a man walks into a bowling alley or bar and starts gunning people down. We still talk about evil when terrorists storm a village 
and shoot children in front of their parents and rape women in front of their families and kill indiscriminately and take hostages as human shields. But those conversations, we talk about evil, it has this kind of abstract, nebulous sense to it. Like there's just some force out there, there's something going on that's bad, and we don't really know what it is or where it comes from, but, but we know that it's bad. But when, when Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, when he talks about evil, he is not talking about some nebulous kind of, uh, you know, eerie force in the universe. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Peter, too, in 1 Peter says, Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You find the devil in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and nearly every book along the way. And what you find there isn't some unseen, unknown force. It is real, he is personal. What you find in the scriptures is he is wreaking havoc on the world. If you believe the Bible is telling the story of God and his relationship with, with humanity, and you believe that you are part of that story, if you believe that the Bible is telling the story of God and his relationship to creation and to humanity, and you believe that you are part of that story, you have an enemy. And he is out to destroy you. What is he doing? Jesus says, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. His agenda is to steal and kill and destroy. So we're talking about life choices. These are the things that, this is the way God made us, and he gave us agency to make choices. And if we choose these things, they lead to life. And if we don't, they lead to death. And we have an enemy who is trying to convince us to make life-destroying choice. We still have agency. What do we do with it? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In 2 Corinthians or chapter 4, Paul says, the God of this age, he's talking about Satan, has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People who don't believe don't believe because they can't see. And the reason they can't see is because they've been blinded to the truth. They've been blinded to the light. In Revelation chapter 12, then this dragon that we read about earlier was enraged at the woman because he got cast out of heaven, was enraged at the woman, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, that's us, who keep 
God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. He's blinding the unbelievers and raging war against those who do believe. What is the scheme? How does he do it? What is the nature of the salt? The first encounter that you find in, in the scripture, we talked about in Genesis chapter 3, the very first time that we meet the serpent in the garden, we really see the heart and soul of his schemes, his tactics. He plays his hand pretty quickly. It says in Genesis chapter um, 3, verse 1, that he is crafty. That his primary weapon against us is deceit. Deceit. The very first thing we find the serpent say in the garden is, did God really say? Adam and Eve, who had been given the directions about how to have life and how to... But, but did God really say that? Just trying to sow this little seed of doubt. Did he really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which is actually not what he said. God said you can eat from every tree in the garden. So he like limits the options, and he said you can't even know. He, he, so he's just like sowing this little seed of doubt and then twisting the words just a little bit. Eve catches him. No, God didn't say that we can't eat from any tree, but this one tree. Did God really say it? And then he comes back. Second question. Oh, second statement. You will not surely die Denying the consequences that God said, if you eat of the tree, you will acknowledge you're going to eat, you, you'll die. So, no, 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 that, that's not what's going to happen. How many of us have fallen to temptation because we didn't think that it would really happen to us? Twisting the words deceit. For God knows that when you eat from the, it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's so subtle. He says, God knows that if you eat from the tree, you will become like him and you will know good and evil. Which is exactly what would happen. That's not even a lie. The lie is what follows. Because when he says that God is trying to keep his best from you. The deceit is in that God is trying to withhold something from them. That God wants to keep this power, this position, this knowledge for his own purposes so that Adam and Eve don't get the fullness of the experience that they want of life. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Temptation always looks good. This is going to look good. This is going to feel good. This is going to taste good. This is going to be good. And she took it and she ate. And then it says she also gave some to her husband 
who was with her, and he ate it too. See, Adam was just hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> Isn't that, I, I love, I, I was in youth ministry for a whole bunch of years, you know, and, and there was never a kid that was the wrong crowd. It was always my kid got caught up in the wrong crowd. I don't know who the wrong crowd was, but the, you know, the wrong crowd. And then verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Before they had been naked and unashamed. Now they realize they're naked. The truth is exposed, and as soon as the truth is exposed, the cover-up begins. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. They were exposed. They were ashamed. They tried to cover up their shame by pretending, by covering it up. And then God's coming as he had been meeting with them every day. But this time they realize something's wrong and they go into hiding. Shame. Deceit results in shame, which leads to this separation, this break, this from, from communion, from fellowship with God. Jesus said, Satan is a liar, and he is the father of lies. The schemer scheme is that he is a deceiver. And when he speaks, he speaks his native... When he, when he lies, he speaks his native language. It is impossible to overstate the effectiveness of this one simple scheme. Every decision we make Every action we take is based on a belief. Not what we want to believe, not what we say we believe, but what we actually believe. Everything we do, we do because we believe that it is the thing that will protect our lives or bring us life or anesthetize the pain of not having the life that we were made for. Based, everything we do is based on a belief. A lie we believe to be true will affect us, will affect our choices, our decisions as if it were true. Even if it's false, if we believe it's true, we will act on what we believe to be true and we will experiences the result. Every war, every political ideology, every mass shooting, everything that happens in the world is based on a narrative, is rooted in a narrative. This is the story, and because this is a story, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to live. This is how I need to act. This is where I need to go. And when we get the wrong story, we come to the wrong conclusions, 
And when we come to the wrong conclusions, we come up with the wrong solutions. The story we believe is the, is the belief that drives the choices that we make. So what does the schemer do? Everything he can to get us to believe the story is something other than what it is. Is God good? What is every, how could a good God do this or that? It's a scheme of the devil to say, the world is messed up. We know that. How did it happen? Because we misused the agency that God gave us? Or somehow he messed up? What's the story? What's the story you believe? And how does that affect the choices you make? Whenever we start talking about spiritual warfare, I hear people say something like this. You better be watch out if you start talking about the devil because he's going to come after you then. Should we be afraid? We're going to spend this today and the next four weeks talking about spiritual warfare, the schemes of the devil, kind of unpacking this. And how is it that we get beyond these, this lying, deceiving voice to living lives that reflect the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Should we be afraid that he's going to come after us? Well, you are living in the middle of a war, and ignoring it might make it feel safer, but it doesn't make it go away. It actually just turns us into sitting ducks. The Bible says 366 times, one for every day of the year and one for leap year two. Do not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. Do not be afraid. Why does the Bible keep saying that over and over and over and over again? Because we tend to be afraid. Why do we tend to be afraid? What's the story we're believing? What's the narrative that we're living under? Do not be afraid. Paul says, here's the story. No, in all these things, everything that's going on in the world, we are not victims. We're not doomed to failure destruction, a zombie apocalypse, a nuclear holocaust. No, we, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither present, future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from, that's the story. The story God is writing ends in glory. This isn't yin and yang, right? Equal, opposite forces kind of trying to squirm their way through the universe and 
and, and neither side's kind of winning or losing, and, and we're kind of teetering on the, on the edge of history, and, and how's the story going to end? It's not even like Star Wars, right, where you have the, um, the forces of good and evil, and they're at war with each other, and you kind of know it's a movie, so it's going to end well, but you never really know throughout the story if it's going to end well or not, because, you know, it's, we're always kind of hanging on the edge. This story that God is writing was one finally on the cross and in the tomb. The outcome of the war has been decided. He has won. And so why is life so hard? Why are bad things still happening to good people? Because until Jesus returns and restores the kingdom in its fullness, the enemy continues to wage war against the believers and blind the eyes of those who don't. He doesn't win. All he has is all he's ever had is lies and deceit. And Jesus promises he will be with us in the waiting. Don't be afraid. Paul says, do this. Equip yourself for the battle. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. The title of this series, Stand Firm. Every time you encounter the, the devil in the Bible, it, the call is to stand firm. The goal is to know the truth because it's lies and deceit that are the weapon of the enemy. What's the truth? Jesus says know the truth because the truth will set you free. We have access. Here's the truth. We have access to the strength that we need to stand firm in the face of everything that life throws at us. We have power to demolish strongholds. We have the resources that we need to prevail, to win over, to stand against the gates of hell. Life choice, A1A. is following the one voice. The one voice. Right there, we have the clamoring world. We have our, our human, fallen human nature and our self-talk. There's one voice. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. When he says that in John chapter 10, he's talking about, prior to that, she, a sheep and his shepherds. And he's the good shepherd. And he describes his followers as the sheep. And he says, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And they follow him because they know his voice. Know the one voice who knows the way to life and follow that voice. 
life choices are not as easy as they look because there's a whole lot that wars against them. But Christ has given us the truth, the authority, and the power of the Spirit to win the battle that preserves and protects and sustains our lives and allows us not just to survive until the end, but to actually have life and be ambassadors of that life to other people. Do you know some hurting souls in the universe? They need you to know the voice of Jesus better and better, more and more, and to follow his voice and to bring his life and his truth and his grace and his mercy and his help and his healing, his reconciliation, his restoration to the world that we live in. Now, we, um, we live in a world that does clamor and we have our own hurts and wounds and challenges and struggles and desires that don't always serve us well. And we have an enemy and he has set himself against us You have offered us your son and given us life through him. Infuse us with the life of his spirit. Teach us to understand through your scriptures and your word over the next few weeks. Teach us to understand our enemy better so that we might fight the battle more effectively and experience more and more of the freedom that we have in Christ and live and live more fully in the power of his spirit and be transformed, as Paul says, more and more from glory to glory, reflecting your light and your love to the world that we live in. Because it is dark. But the darkness does not overcome the light. Your light dispels darkness. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray in his name.